morning. Welcome, welcome. On a beautiful day, I just wanted to call attention to and make sure you knew this. Uh, for Wednesday night, you want pizza and pie. I know you're desperately seeking that right before you celebrate Thanksgiving. Uh, just so you know, FYI, pizza and pie happens in Mosaic, but worship happens in here. Uh, we were just talking about that a little bit ago uh, in the back. Uh, we did that on purpose so you could walk it off. Um, did I tell you who I am? I might have forgotten that. For those of you at home, those of you listening on the phone, if you're new here, you have no idea who this guy is. My name is Doug, and I am a part of our pastoral staff. It is a joy to get to talk about and share with you our study. We've been studying Habakkuk. Oh, wait, hold Pastor Trent made a big deal about this when he started this thing, all right, uh, uh, this whole thing. So he said it, uh, Habakkuk, that's how he's been saying it. And then he told you, he told you, he warned you that I was going to correct him. And I am. I went ahead and consulted with some uh, Hebrew study scholarly types, and I looked in my Hebrew Bible. You want to know how to pronounce it? For real? You got to be willing to get phlegmy. <sighs> Starts with a <sighs> chab, ak, uk, chabakuk, chabakuk. That's the best guess we got. Which is funny because, like, what do we really know? I mean, think about it. Do we really know how people pronounced things back then? I mean, we're talking about real people. I mean, can you imagine what would happen three, 4,000 years from now? Somebody comes across my name in writing, and they, with all confidence and absolute certainty, would say, well, the way they pronounced this back, you know, in old English, Douglas. That's what they would do, right? We don't know. I'll bet his mom called him Chabi. I'll bet his wife called him Cookie. Yeah. Because why not? Because they're real people. So we're going to be unpacking just the last four verses of Habakkuk. And just so you know, uh, over the course of this, I've, I've been trying to remember to say it the right way, but I will mispronounce this. I will say Habakkuk. I will say Habakkuk. I will say Habi. I might even say Cookie. We all know who I'm talking about. We're talking about a guy, a prophet of the Lord, who has this unique moment interaction with God, different than the other prophets. He doesn't just receive a word from the Lord for the people. He talks to God, and God gives him a revelation for him that he gets to share. And he is, he's lamenting. Like He starts by saying to God, God, your people are doing horrific things. Stop them. Bring your justice. Bring your holiness. And God says, I will. And I'm going to do it through the Babylonians. And Habakkuk says, no, 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 no. You misunderstood me. We want your holiness, not something worse. And God says, no, 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 no. I have a plan. And I'm God. And that means my plan is good, even if you don't understand it, because I never make mistakes. And last week, we heard as Habakkuk decided in that moment to praise God. And he writes a song. He wrote a song. It's poetry to express 
His adoration of the God who brings this reality, who's going to act. And as we wrap it up today, after all of his praising and remembering what is true, he wraps up his song with the words that we're going to be unpacking today when we're talking about and exploring uh, verses 16 through 19. Hear this God's word for us today. I heard the promises that God has made. I heard and my heart pounded. Um, bad translation there. Um, heart pounded is actually uh, my belly rumbled. My bowels quaked. Like, right? He is dealing with some serious indigestion. Like, stress deep down into the core of his being does not like this. But the NIV says, my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. It's interesting. He still wants Babylon to be judged. He's a little bit hesitant yet about the judgment coming to his people. Though the fig tree doesn't bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, there, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in my Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord, and only the sovereign Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for meeting us in this moment, for speaking, and for giving us insight, not only into the lives of those that have come before us in faith, but to give us insight into who you are. For us today, we ask that you would again reveal, reveal you, and give us a glimpse of your holiness. Help us understand who we are in light of who you are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to do something that I don't normally do when I'm preaching. Um, rather than take us on a narrative journey through the passage and through God's word, uh, I'm going to tell you about the three points that I'm going to make, and then I'm going to make three points. Feels like home. What I want to do today is I want to talk about because I don't want us to miss it, how the people in our Bibles are real. And then I want to talk about the challenge, the importance, and the power of waiting. And then I want to talk about what direction God gives his people in the face of waiting and hardship and uncertainty. Now, maybe this doesn't happen to you. So we're going to start with number one. Maybe this doesn't happen to you. It happens to me a lot when I'm reading the Bible, and I, and I learn about these faithful people uh, like Javi. And I hear him express his concerns. I hear him express his, 
you know, his, his deep desires for the Lord, and I hear him frustrated and, and scared, and then I also hear him ultimately choose to praise and worship God, because of course, why would he not praise and worship God? And this is a story we hear over and over again in our Bibles, people who make mistakes and then come back around or don't even make mistakes, they just are faithful. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we don't hear anything of what they did that's like, oh, they should be ashamed of themselves. We hear them say, even if the Lord doesn't save, I will burn to death and not worship you. Like these, these are powerful moments, right? We hear this of these people. And I, and I don't think, I don't think I do it on purpose, but as I'm coming across so many of these stories, I think sometimes I, I sterilize them. I, 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 I start reading them as matter of fact because I know these stories. I'm familiar with these stories. We, we hear them over and over again, so we know how they're going to end. And I forget, I forget that each of these decisions, each of these moments, the, the things that they're experiencing, the, the, the decision to be faithful is a hard-fought battle. These are hard-fought hard words to be written down. These people have been, like this, Habakkuk is tormented as he pleads with God on behalf of his people. These are real folks. They really existed. These aren't just spiritual superheroes. They're not just made-up characters in a book who had no problem giving in to God. They had to choose it. And I remember, as I was kind of contemplating this, I, I, it suddenly occurred to me that, that what we have in our Bibles is just these snapshot moments. Did you know in the average lifespan back then was about 40 years. In 40 years, you get about 1.2 billion seconds of time. And the seconds that are recorded in our Bible are just a few thousand seconds of the 1.2 billion each of these people lived. Think of it, think of it kind of like in our, common, uh, our, our current society. Think of it like an Instagram or a Facebook post. Like, seriously, when you're looking at people's pictures online, do you ever see the worst picture? No, you got this one. Right? Airbrushed, perfect. Of course, sometimes sometimes they'll put up the, the, the non-made-up, the non-good one, right? And then, then they're brave. Well, we, get, we just get a snapshot moment of people's lives over and over again, and that's what's happening in our Bibles. We're just getting a snapshot moment of Hobby's life. Just a snapshot. And it's a good one. It's a healthy one. It's the one God wanted us to see. But he's also got a lot of other stuff going on. I mean, as he gets ready, as, as he hears what God has said to him, this must have wrecked him. Think about what he has to do now. He has to wait for God. He hears this horrible news from God about what's going to happen to his family and his friends and his neighbors. As Babylon, Babylon, the great evil Babylon is going to sweep in and demolish everything. Many will die. The house of God will be burned to the ground. And those that don't get killed are going to be dragged off into slavery to serve their captors. That's what God is saying to him. And now he has to live with that. He has to live with that every single day. As he waits for God to take that particular action. And, and, and he's living with it with the people who are still 
burning their kids in front of other gods who are still making the most horrible decisions you could ever make. And he's watching them continue down this path even after these words that God has given him. And he's shared them. You know he's talked about it. And they're like, yeah, whatever. And for the rest of his life, it's very unlikely that he lived long enough to see Babylon come. For the rest of his life, waiting on the Lord, for the rest of his life, watching as people made decision after decision after decision after decision that was killing them. This is how he ended his days. And he's just one name of the billions that have lived since that time, who have had to do the same, who have had to seek faithfulness and, and deal with life when it gets complicated and hard and, and faith becomes something you have to fight for. Let me share another. I'm going to talk about another person from our Bibles who had a crisis of faith. And it's somebody that we don't typically think of as having a crisis of faith. And yet he did. It's recorded for us. I want to read to you from the Gospel of Matthew. A real man whose heart was broken and struggled to remember to keep doing the right thing. It's just a little blurb here. Matthew 11. When John, the baptizer, heard while he was in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, go back, he's talking to the disciples, uh, John's disciples, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Did you ever think of John the baptizer as someone who had a crisis of faith? Probably not. Probably not because he has a storied life. He is, he is this magnificent example of faithfulness, right? John, son of Zechariah. And he has this great and powerful, important origin story, right? Long before he was born, foretold he would be a great preacher and, a, and lead many back to the Lord. And then his father becomes mute because he laughs at the possibility, and, and the angel says, you don't get to speak until you name him John. And you know, you know mom and dad have told him this story over and over again. <laughs> oh, honey, you were such a gift, but do you remember your dad couldn't talk until he named you? Oh, it was such a peaceful nine months. You know, we tell our kids those stories all the time. So he heard this over and over again. And then all the people around him, because they're talking about the fact that he has been prophesied, right? So all the people going up to him, oh, little John, scruffling on the top of his head, you're going to be something someday. God has great plans for you. Right? People. Normal people. He's going to grow up to be somebody, and he, and he did, kind of. I mean, he didn't end up like, uh, like his dad, a priest, 
But by the time he's considered a man, he's out in the desert, he's prophesying, he's preaching, he's preparing the way for the Lord, and Jesus comes, and there's a declaration of the Lamb of God, and, and, and like a dove, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus there at his baptism. And then John goes to jail. Jail! For preaching against the incestuous lifestyle of Herod, John ends up in jail. Lord, is this really what you had planned for my life? I had such a great beginning. What, what, why, why this? And there he sits in jail. And time marches on. And the disciples he'd had, uh, they went on to follow the lamb, which is fine. He knew that. He said, I must become less so he can become greater. But this much less? And days turn into weeks, and that turns into months, and that turns into a year and a half. Eighteen months he spent in prison. And the only visitors he has are his own, his, the disciples that have stuck with him. But time marches on, and imprisonment drags on. And, and can you imagine what he's thinking? What would you be thinking? What questions will be running through your mind? What happens if... For, like with John or with Habakkuk or in our lives, what happens when things stay tough? When uncertainty becomes life? I wonder, I wonder, did John question why Jesus, the deliverer, didn't deliver him? Did, did he question why Jesus wasn't setting all the people free like him? I wonder. I wonder, when he heard how Jesus was conducting his ministry, that he would go and eat, and he would attend parties with tax collectors and prostitutes, and the filthy and the wronged he was hanging out with, and, and he was healing and preaching the gospel of grace and peace, after, God, after John's own life of purposeful self-discipline, self-denial, did he question if his cousin had lost his way by living it up? When holiness is supposed to look austere and proper. I wonder. Did he wonder? Did I get it wrong? By calling Jesus the Lamb of God? I mean, that's the guy God pointed out to me. Well, was it that right, or, or did I get it wrong? And after a year and a half in jail, and he's out of the loop, and he's struggling every day just to survive, John's faith wavered. And he sent men to ask Jesus, did I get it wrong? Because uncertainty and, and waiting can mess with a mind. These are real people, just like you. That's a good thing to remember. It's good to remember because when they're asked to endure and to live through uncertainty, or they're asked to wait, from how they experience it and what happens for them, and the choice that they make. Because 
Choosing how to handle uncertainty. Choosing to wait. Waiting isn't something just put on us. It is a choice. And then we need to know as real people too. We can make that choice. Even when it's uncomfortable. Even when it stinks and we don't want to. That it might not be an accident that God asks this of us. There are a lot of people in our Bibles asked to wait. It is a a theme in our scriptures, the importance of waiting. Waiting, do you know what waiting is in the Bible? I mean, for us, it's just a chance to pull out our phones and do something fun. (laughs) But for them, it was an act of worship. It was a choice to believe that the one who is moving behind the scenes in ways you can't see is worth waiting for. Even if his actions might not happen until years later, even if, even if they might never come in our lifetime, that when we wait on the one who acts through the course of thousands of years, Sometimes we wait a while. Habakkuk was asked to wait. God asked him very specifically to wait uh, in, in, uh, earlier in, in that book, right? Um, where is it? For the revelation awaits appointed time. It speaks of the end. It will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will Certainly come, God says to him earlier in this book. And so he does. He honors the command from the psalm, Psalm 37, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. He obeys God's direct charge from earlier in the conversation. I just told you about it. He believed Jeremiah's statement about waiting from lamentation. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Doesn't mean it's easy, but it is worship. To quote Pastor Trent, but I'm going to change one word in his quote. Not all sacrifice is worship, but all worship is sacrifice. What's your worst memory of waiting? My hardest moment of waiting was at the birth of my first son. And there was some issues with labor. Um, His heartbeat was like he was getting choked off. So they had to do an emergency C-section. It was on a Sunday evening, and the anesthesiologist was a long ways away and had to speed in. That woman drove over 100 miles an hour to get there. And while they had my wife in the OR, prepping her, getting her ready, they had me out in a hallway all by myself, change into these scrubs and wait. And I sat there for an eternity. It was probably only like 20 minutes, but it took my life for that moment to come.
Real people have to wait sometimes for God to answer prayers. And sometimes, sometimes the memory of what God has promised is so distant, it's hard to remember, to believe that he actually made that promise. In prison, all John could do was nothing. Nothing. Nothing but think. Nothing but wonder. Nothing but, but speculate and, and question and send out his disciples to ask, and so they did. Um, um, Jesus, our, our master John, was wondering, based on what he's heard about how you're doing stuff, was he wrong about you? So waiting is a, a transformative event for most people, which is why we often avoid it at all costs. Now, <clears throat> here's the beautiful thing about this act of worship to the Lord. He has an answer for us. He has a promise to us. He, he gives us what we need to be strong in this moment. And this is our third point today. What does God say? And what God says to, to Habakkuk is a lot similar to what he, Jesus says to John. It's a lot similar to what God has said to many of his people through the ages, when people's faith is wavering, when they feel like they deserve a clearer sign, when, when people are feeling entitled to more from the Lord so that they will truly know if he is who he says he is, will he do what he has promised? Jesus says, watch for one minute and see what I have done. And then tell me if I am who I say I am. You know the things that God has promised in his word? Do you see those? Pay attention to the signs, to the fruit, to what's happening. You will know that I am God if you pay attention to what's happening. This is a wonderful answer, non-answer, right? It reminds me so much of what God said to Moses in Exodus when he calls him at the burning bush. He's like, Moses, come here. And Moses is like, yes, Lord. And he's like, look, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh to set my people free. And Moses says, who am I that I should go? And God's like, look. This is how you will know that I am with you. When you succeed, you will worship me on this mountain. Yeah, but I, I don't feel good now. No, no, no. When you succeed, you will know I have been with you. Trust me. Go do what I've asked. Trust me that it will turn out. I love that response. It's this mind-bending, infuriating to humans, perfect response. And this is what Jesus says to John. And this is what God says to Habakkuk. And, oh, there, see, I did it. Because God has proven a million times throughout time that he is true. He's already done it. He's done everything necessary to show everything that we need to know. Jesus answers John with wonderful words that, that should make us think of Isaiah 61 because he's kind of, he's kind of uh, paraphrasing Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. That's what he's paraphrasing. Although he, he leaves out a couple sections. Pastor Trent pointed this out to me. I'd never put this together before. When Jesus responds to John, paraphrasing Isaiah 61, he leaves out the part about setting the captives free. Because John's not going to get to go free. If you don't know how the story ends, he is beheaded in prison. 
to the one waiting, demanding a sign, Jesus says, if you have ever seen God's word come true ever, then you need no other sign. And our Bibles are full of stories of God's word coming true. And here we are from Habakkuk to John to our own personal experiences. We are all real people experiencing real life in real ways. And just like they know, and we and they knew, and we know waiting's hard. We know it's not fun. We know we don't like it. Uncertainty is real. The cost of walking the path of God is costly. But it's supposed to be. We sell ourselves a bad batch of goods when we think there has to be in our time only good experiences from God or he owes us some explanation for anything. Almost every time when we're stuck in waiting or struggle or challenge that he has given us, his encouragement isn't what we want. It's to turn our attention to what is greater, to what we actually need, to the only thing that's certain. And that's him. We live in uncertainty. We wait. And he is true. And that's what he keeps pointing us to. Just Jesus points him to, look at me. Look what I'm doing. God says to Habakkuk, look at what I will do. This is who I am. I have the best answer. Don't look at the problem. Don't look within. Look at him. Look at who he is and what he does. That's what we need more than anything else. When we're faced with uncertainty and real life means we are, the best thing for us is to be reminded of the only thing that is perfectly certain. Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness, for your encouragement and your strength, for being everything we need. When uncertainty comes, when waiting is a part of your call, give us the courage not to seek the answers that make the most sense to us, but to seek your face and to watch for what you're doing. In the face of uncertainty, it's you that we need. You're the only certain thing, the only certain one, just you. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.